0: Good morning. It's good to see you. Make sure it's good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you all. So one of the annoying things about me, there are a list. So <clears throat> when um, early in my marriage with Lee, I probably even started while we were dating, meaning we would take these long drives from Southern California while we were uh, going to college and like going home to see parents and this and that. So I had this thing when I'm taking long drives, that the greatest value in my head was making good time. So um, I found no problem in this at all. So I'm like, we're leaving early or there's no traffic and we're making great time. And Lisa would be like, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, I've just done all of this work to pass all of these people and we're making great time. Can you hold it for a while? And she would look at me like, what is wrong with you, and why am I dating you? So, you know, we'd find a rest stop because those were the quickest to get out. She's like, can you find a clean bathroom? (laughs) Define clean bathroom, whatever. Every time we would drive to my family's cabin, we would pass through these towns like Napa and Yountville and St. Helena and Calistoga. And of course, I would never stop, because growing up, we would never stop, because my dad's like, we're making good time. So as we we're driving through these towns, places Lisa had never been before, she's like, "Look at all those cute shops. I, I wonder what's in this town?" I'm like, "I don't know, We don't stop." <laughs> One time she researched um, some outlets in St. Helena, I believe. So she's like, "This time we're stopping." I'm like, "All right. So we stopped, and I just had my arms like this the whole time, like, I fear change. So she looked around and didn't find anything to buy. I'm like, of course you didn't, because we're not making good time anymore. She's like, I just wanted to watch. What I started to realize is that I grew up in a family of six, six kids, and we would travel in a station wagon. When you're traveling in a station wagon with six kids, you do not stop to look at antique stores or food or art. You just go." So I took my experiences of what I found to be normal into my relationship and placed it on top of her and said, this is the right way of doing something. Last summer we drove to the family cabin again and we stopped in Yountville and we went to a bakery and I got iced coffee and we looked at antique stores and it was sunny outside and I looked at Lisa and I'm like, You were right all of these 35 years. This is delightful. And she's like, can you not say the word delightful anymore? Because it sounds weird coming out of your mouth. The point is, I realized I was giving her a gift of my past that she did not want. We do that all the time. We re-gift things. We re-gift things we hear and pass them on as some kind of truth. We re-gift things that we feel. We do that with each other. We think this is the right thing to say or the right thing to feel. I'm imagining we do that with God a lot too. Like here are the things to tap into God. Here are the things I read this week and so God, this is what God thinks. And we just go through the motions of re-gifting, or, or re- routine, or what we think, what we feel. Versus just stopping for a moment. With all the things we carry, including our habits and our agendas and our opinions and our families of origin, maybe for decades, let's just take a look at the next part of the book of Ecclesiastes that we've been going through. He writes this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they, are, that they, do, know, that they do wrong. <clears throat> do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. for God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. A dream, com- a dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at you? Why should God be angry at you, what you say, and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Father, many years ago, the preacher, the teacher made this observation of no matter how and what and all the things we chase, There's something about how to approach you. There's something about the consistency and the awareness of the things we carry around and put on other people and maybe put on you. So help us today to assess well. And maybe we can start to let go of the things that just don't make sense anymore. In your name, amen. Up to this point in the study of Ecclesiastes that we've been going through the last three weeks, it's almost kind of been journalistic in nature. He's using words like, I've observed, I've, I've wondered, I've seen, I've assessed. But now he drops a command in the middle. He's like, I've seen these things, I've observed these things, these things don't make sense, it's like vapor, it's like chasing after the wind. And then all of a sudden he goes guard. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. This word guard, we've been learning different Hebrew words throughout. We learned the word hevel, which means mist or vapor, meaningless. We learned the word um, ha'alom, which is God's place, eternity in your heart. And this word is shamar. To guard, to keep, to watch, to preserve, to protect, to exercise great care over. In Genesis 2.15, God gave this command to Adam. The same word, shamar. Will you shamar the garden? Will you care for it? Will you watch over it? Now, we can have in our minds, if I say, what does it mean to guard? We can think of different things. First way is uh, we have like guards to protect from potential threat. Threats that might be out there. People may want to come and rob a bank or the Apple store. So there's guards to, uh, because it might be a threat. The second way is protection and an actual threat. There are people who are literally fighting those coming after us. Both of these things are kind of an act of war. Either there's a threat of a war, like a real one, or we're in war. So the teacher seems to be saying in a bit, Under the sun, there are people, even in the house of God, who will accelerate foolery. So beware. But there's also a third. And I think this is the, probably the strongest meaning that he means. is to protect something so something doesn't happen. It's like a precursor. Not just like there's a threat, but I want to behave in such a way so this threat does not even exist. So war doesn't happen. It destroys chaos before it can even happen. Another reason to guard or prepare is to not Add to the foolery. Like when you show up to a circle, the foolishness kind of ends because you're like, hey, 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 let's just have some perspective. Whether that's in a church setting or family setting. In Scripture, we see God's shamar for us. Look at this, Psalm 121. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps, which is shamar, you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps, Shamar, Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper, Shamar. The Lord will protect, Shamar, you from all evil. He will keep Shamar, your soul. The Lord will guard Shamar your going out and your coming. Psalm 145: The Lord Yahweh keeps Shamar of all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. One of the names of God is Shemar Yahweh. The God who guards and protects. So the teacher says to us, guard and protect as you enter the space of God. It protects war from happening. Now, what does he mean, Solomon mean, about the house of God? Now, he is writing this 2,600 years ago maybe. And he had just built this temple, the place for people to go and meet God. Prior to the temple was this mobile tabernacle, and prior to the tabernacle was the Garden of Eden. Many historians believe that when Adam and Eve sinned and were casted from the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was the place of God, and they were casted to the east, and they left the Garden of Eden, and he placed two guards and a to protect the Garden of Eden so they could not come back in. So when they built the tabernacle, which was the um, one they traveled with once they left Egypt and they would set this up, it was set towards the east facing west. So when people would enter the tabernacle, it was as if they were re-entering the process of the Garden of Eden to meet with God again. So when they built the temple, it faced the same way. And as you entered the temple, it was an outside area. And we'll do more teaching on this because I think this is a fascinating, deeply rooted of how to engage with the holiness of God. As they entered the temple, was a place of sacrifices and aroma. And then they would enter into a closer place of what they called the holies, things you would engage with God. And then there was like this deeper place called the holy of holies where a priest would go once a year on behalf of the people. So Solomon built this place, and at the end of his life, for those who wrote or started to observe, even though Eden fell, you can still go and meet with God. But guard yourself. No matter how beautiful and how massive this structure is, what matters is your heart. What matters is how you enter. What matters is not that you're perfect by any stretch of the imagination, Are you pretending? Are you re-gifting things back to God? Shamar is the idea of um, watching over your child as they learn to walk. Kind of the unstableness, right? Some kids, you know, you might want to put a helmet on them because they just go straight to running, right? But you kind of watch them. Unless you are the second born or third born. Or like I was the sixth born. I'm pretty sure they just let me go. It's amazing that I didn't leave the house. I'm sure I did. Where's Dale? He'll find his way back. Mom, he's only two. I'm sure he'll find his way home. Whatever. But it's that idea where it's like as a toddler is learning to walk, you shamar and take care of him. Uh, Last week, two weeks ago, was it Safeway? And um, I was walking by this aisle, and there was a toddler in the shopping cart, you know, the place you're supposed to sit, and he was standing up. And so his mother, his caretaker, whoever was with him, was busy looking at the shelves. I saw this, and I'm like, I know what can happen. Now, before I had a child, or the son, or cared about children, I guess, I just would have walked by. But at this moment, I'm like, I can see what might happen if this child continues to stand. So I kind of stood there, you know, and I pretended that I was really interested in the jello on the wall <laughs> so I don't come across as some kind of creep. So I'm standing there kind of close, and the kid starts to fall backwards, and I'm like, and I hold him, and he sat down. And then the mom or caretaker looked at me, and she said, don't you dare touch my child. And I said, you're right, ma'am. And I just put him down and I walked away. Now that's the proof of God right there for me. But the point is, whatever her response was, Shamar just means to stand close because something might happen. Not to judge, not to cast shame, not because she was a bad mom caretaker or whatever, she didn't need to know my opinions about what she was doing and not doing. The shamar that needed to happen was for the child. So I shamared him. Shamar your steps as you approach the house of God. Pay attention to your walk. Let's look a bit closer at the words of the teacher. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 5:1 Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Where they do not know they are doing evil. This this idea is kind of like performing without thought. Going through the actions, the motions without thought. We do this all the time. We all perform in some way. We uh, perform at work to keep things right. We get performance reviews. We act certain things. We do what's right. All those kinds of things. But we also like replay how things should be and how we approach God he says this is the sacrifice of fools. To pretend. To go through motions. Routine or practice without meaning. To re-gift back to God. The teacher seems to be addressing that this might even happen in churches. There's a foolish sacrifice. As the teacher states, they don't even know that they're doing this. Seems like he's pointing out something. There are those who are relying on the correct participation, how you do this, and religiosity for justification. they kind of pushing away the mercy of God. Seems like he might be pointing out that some might use church as a robe to cover their ugly lives versus to find freedom from their ugly lives. The worship of fools. Jesus makes really clear this kind of practice. Matthew 6 quotes him as saying this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, this doesn't mean you don't do it in front of others, but you don't do it in front of others just to be seen by them. For those of you who are like, you see, you shouldn't be raising your hands in public. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't do those things just to show off. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Excuse me. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by them. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Once again, the problem isn't they pray in the synagogues. The problem isn't that they pray on the street corners. They do it to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You see, it's not simply a change of appearance with God. It's a change of your heart. There aren't certain things you say or do, and it's got them open. So he could be saying... Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and will you just be open versus bringing your agenda, your expectations, the things you want the pastor to fix versus I'm open to what God has for me in my heart today. You see, guarding takes honest and vulnerable intentionality. The same kind of intentionality that it takes to take your shoes off when you enter into a house. I used to think you took your shoes off when you enter a house only in certain um, ethnic situations, and that's true for a lot of you. So it was my wife's custom to take your shoes off as you enter the house. It's much more than just some kind of custom. She goes, You've been walking around on dirt and scum and gum and mud, and you really want to walk around in our house with those shoes on. Like, that's a different point altogether. So unless I've been scrubbing the bottom of my shoes all day long, the intentionality is I'm not going to bring that into my house. I'm going to take off my shoes. It's the same intentionality of what am I bringing to God. What am I bringing to the people of God today? What am I bringing as I carry? Am I bringing a bunch of junk on the bottom of my shoes? Or am I willing to metaphorically take my shoes off and just go, God, here's what I have. Man, it's been a rough week. It doesn't mean to pretend. It actually means to let go. Man, this has been a rough one. But God, as I enter in today, I let go. Will you do something? Because guarding my steps means taking off my agenda taking off my scrutiny. I take off my predetermined opinions because the things I have created and I hold on to can actually be war starters, not peace protectors. Yes, I pulled over at the outlets for Lisa and in my head I'm like, I am protecting the peace, but my posture of, I hope you find nothing actually starts wars. And the same kind of posture can happen with the family of God. I'm here, aren't I? Can actually start wars versus protecting peace. It happens in relationships. It happens in families. It happens at work. It happens in so many places. Solomon saying, this is how it should be as you enter with God But it happens all over the place. Let's continue quickly. Ecclesiastes 5:2. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought. Do bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. What I have found to be true: it's really hard to listen when you're talking all the time. I have the ability to use a lot of words. My daughter has the ability to use 10 times as many words. And she just went to Taylor Swift and claims it was the greatest experience of her life in Phoenix. So now she has 30,000 more times words. So if you want to know how Taylor Swift concert is, please talk to my daughter so I don't have to. (laughs) Just about Taylor Swift. That's just my own fun right there. No, but seriously, if you could talk to her so I don't have to hear it, that'd be great. Let your words be few. So many things fill our minds. So many voices about so many things. What are the things you're thinking about right now? It's more than one thing. You know, some of you might be thinking, what should I be feeling? Or what could I be feeling? Or what did I feel? Some of you might be thinking, what do I believe? Or should I believe? Or what did I used to believe? Someone else, you might be thinking, man, I really hope this other person is listening to this message. Some of you might be thinking, I wonder if I left the oven on. Right now, some of you are thinking, I wonder if I left the oven on. Some of you are thinking, what's an oven? I just do DoorDash. Some of you might be thinking, how am I going to fix that person who isn't doing what I need them to do? Some of you might be thinking, I wonder if those keto gummies really work. I wonder if some of you might be thinking, man, I hope this sermon lasts forever. No, no one is thinking that. (laughs) Let me give you some freedom. It's okay when our minds think about a lot of things. Even in the mornings when you're trying to spend maybe some time with God. I would encourage you, this is just a helpful hint that I have found to be helpful, have a little journal. When you think of something you don't want to forget, write it down. Our brain has this thing like it's going to keep going because they think you're going to forget. So you're like, I need milk. Just write down, you need milk and then get back to your time with God. Oh my gosh. I need to get this. So I want to have this person, I need to call this person today. I better do it right now. Then you just just write it down. Follow this person after and go back to God. Be aware of the voices and the words. Because the teacher's advice is let your words be few. Again, it seems like the teacher is pointing out that some people or there's some experiences like this. You know, one of the marks I think of foolish religion is the unstoppable mouth. I know what you're thinking. Dale, you may have this disease. But the unstoppable mouth of just are saying, I'm not sure. When tragedy happens in somebody else's life and they want to know, why did God let this happen? Foolishness says, I have an answer for you right now. Wisdom says, I don't know. I hurt with you. Let's both go to the Father. Because as soon as we think we all know, foolishness has crept in. What are the things that make us quiet, though? I think deep connection with holiness. I think something, when that's made with great skill, can make us be quiet. My wife says I have this thing, she can tell when I'm eating a really good meal, like we go out to dinner, it's really, really good. She says I get really quiet and I kind of dangle my fork over it. And then she says I kind of wrap my arms around it to make sure no one's gonna steal it. I didn't even realize I do this, but I do. I kind of have my arm like this, and she's like, Dale, I'm not gonna take your food. I'm like, I grew up in a family of six. You don't ever know. They might be here. My brother might be here to steal the last piece. So I kind of dangle and I hang over and she's like, that, that, that meal is good. I'm like, this person knew what they were doing. It just makes me quiet. When you see something of great beauty, it might make you quiet. The holiness of God shouldn't create more words out of our mouth. It should be like, And this God is here for me. So when we lessen our words, the verbal ones and the nonverbal ones, as we approach His holiness and His justice and His sovereignty, there might be a change of heart. You see, what the fool does not know is that to take God's name in vain doesn't mean you use a bunch of four-letter words. What it really means is that you're following after God or carrying the name of God and you really know nothing about his character. You're just kind of foolish in how you're carrying his name around. It's not just, oh, I slipped. I... But it's like, no, carry my name well. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow that you should vow and pay. We might say like this, do what you say and say what you mean. When you say, I do, integrity says, then do it. When you say, I will be there, integrity says, then be there. When you say, I love you, integrity says, then love. Solomon's just saying, if you say you're going to do it, just do it. Stop messing around. Jesus shows this integrity on display. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Man, that's beautiful. As the Father has loved his Son, so he loves you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. You see, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You, this is that thing. That's the same thing Solomon's saying. Say what you mean and do what you say. Jesus is like, I love you because as the Father has loved me. It's integrity. It goes on to say in Revelation, those whom I love I reprove and discipline though. So therefore be zealous and repent. Be honest. Our outward expressions might just be vapor. Our agendas and expectations might just be vapor. And all the vows that we can make with God become vapor. Ecclesiastes 5 7 at the end, he says, For in many dreams and in many words, there's an emptiness. Rather fear God. Man, he has started his sermon with vanity, vanity, all is vanity, all is meaningless. I've chased, I've drank, I've partaked, I've done all these things. And then he hits this point of fear God. So, what the teacher is using in modern terms, he's saying this when we guard our steps, We slow down to be with Jesus. We go beneath the surface of our lives to be deeply transformed by Jesus. And we offer our lives as a gift to each other and the world for Jesus. There's a process. These aren't rules of how to appropriately enter into a church building. He's simply saying, All the things you might be chasing in this world is vapor, and they're going to go away. The one thing that's not is God, the uncreated. So as you approach God, do so mindful of how you're walking and how you are and what you're carrying. Slow down a little bit to be with him, to go beneath the surface of your lives so that the gifts you're regifting potentially are actually from him. The gifts you're passing on to each other is actually an overflow of you and not something from your family, not something from your own thoughts, not something from your own opinions, but from Him. For a moment, let's just go back to the beginning. Not the beginning of the Bible, beginning of this message. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. If means maybe. When means it's going to happen. He doesn't say, guard your steps if you go to the house of God. It's when. He can say this with confidence, because as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, he has placed eternity in all of us, that which is from God. So as every single person encounters God. But let's just say for our saying, it's when you join the family of God together. When. When. If something becomes routine, and I mean that in a good way or a discipline, you can become better at it. As an athlete continues to train, he grows in their skill, his or her skill of that. As a chef prepares and grows in their skill and their ability, whatever that is, the more you do it, the 10,000 hours of work, you grow in your skill and your ability. The when here implies growth in how we prepare to engage with God, with each other, in church. The ultimate goal is not to be amazing church attenders. That's not. Man, I attend church like nobody's business. I'm there every week. I sit in my sink. That's not what he's talking. It's like the preparation of your heart. The gift that you're giving others. The gift that you're receiving from others. When we, retune, when we retune, routinely guard our steps, foolishness now has a rival. Grace and wisdom will grow. And the house of God gets rehabbed under the sun. Until he comes back. Guarding your steps before God. Caring for your life like a newborn or a toddler learning to walk. Be aware of the foolishness that can happen. Be aware of the foolishness that you are passing on. You may not even know that you're doing it. So guard your steps as well. So spend some time quiet before God. Every week we have a time of response and listening and so much in this passage. and I uh, apologize f- if it was too much. I don't know. But just sit quietly before God. listen to Him. Listen to what he has to say to you. What I do know is that if it's um, feelings of shame or guilt or I'm a bad person, that's, that's not from our Lord. That's from the enemy accusing you. This isn't about accusing. This is just like, man. Prepare your steps, what you're carrying, who you are, what you're bringing in, the gifts you're giving people, the outpouring. Is it criticism? Are you looking for others who just agree with the criticisms that you have about this world and this life and this church? That's, I can't help but think that's the sacrifice of fools. But if it's an openness and just, God, what do you have today? Do a work in me and then we're blessing others through that as an outpouring. That's the gift of grace, wisdom. So let God speak to you in a few moments here. I'm not sure what he's been saying to you. There's enough foolish places in this world Enough places that focus on vapor and chasing, and maybe this could be a place that's filled with shamar, haalom, the eternity. We love you, God.